Hi, and welcome to Driving Discussions. In this series, we've been discussing the forces that affect road fuels globally. And in today's episode, we'll be taking a closer look at the state of Europe's refining industry and how it's facing the challenges presented by COVID-19. My name is Elliot Radley, and I'm the editor of the European Products Report here at Argus Media. And with me today is Benedict George, reporter on the European Products Desk covering diesel and refining. Thanks for joining me today, Benedict. Thank you for having me. So, Benedict, the European product market has had one of the worst years on record, I'd say, with you know recurring lockdown measures all over the continent, destroying demand and leaving huge stockpiles, which may not be drawn down well into 2021. Gasoline has spent much of the year at discounts to crude and, and diesel refining margins, as you're familiar, fell to their lowest point of the 21st century um, in the autumn. So this is all clearly pretty bad news uh, for refiners. Can you tell us in what ways refining companies are feeling this pressure currently? Well, the bottom line is that Europe's refining companies made big losses in the third quarter, and there's every chance that that will continue into the winter. So we had BP and ExxonMobil both reporting third quarter losses. Total reported losses in its refining business in particular. They were joined by Repsol, A&E, Norway's Equinor, Greece's Hellenic, Austria's OMV, the list goes on. One useful sign of the pain that they're going through is the response of the rating agencies. They started downgrading European refining companies almost as soon as the pandemic started. In March, we had Moody's downgrading OMV's outlook from stable to negative. And in April, Fitch did the same for Turkey's toothbrush. So some of these companies are now facing mountains of debt as a result. Recently, the Greek refiner Motorol Hellas, which runs the Corinth refinery, announced it had made a loss of over $100 million in the first three quarters of the year, and as a result, had fallen from a cash position of $5 million. That's an indication of just how deeply this year has hurt the refining industry. Wow. Okay. So um, it sounds like bottom lines, you know, have turned red up and down the continent as a result of this pandemic. So what kind of what kind of damage control have refiners been using to, you know, mitigate these losses where possible? Well, the most common thing they're doing is simply running their crude units at lower rates. So the latest figures released by Eurol Stock, which covers the first 15 members of the EU and Norway, shows utilization at around 69% in October. And that's 10 percentage points lower than in the same month last year. It's basically economics 101. So when demand and prices are lower, the optimal volume of production is lower. So that's happening across the board. But more interestingly, some refiners have stopped producing altogether temporarily because they've hit the technical minimum CDU crude distillation unit utilization of around 60%. And at that level, their revenue is still not covering their costs. So they just have to completely shut the unit. The biggest refinery to completely stop producing like that so far is Total's Donge refinery, which is the second largest in France. We've seen Galp's Porto refinery in Portugal and Ina's Rijeka refinery in Croatia do the same thing. None of those are expected to restart until next year. Still more dramatically, some refiners have mothballed units which means that they will be offline for several months at least and possibly much longer. That's one step short, basically, of permanently decommissioning the unit. Gunvor has done that with the Antwerp refinery, which it said explicitly could not be profitable in the near future. Sepsa has done that with a distillation unit. 
Petro Ineos has done that with a distillation unit as well at Grangemouth in Scotland. And Petro Ineos has laid off 200 workers while they were at it. Wow, okay. So, I mean, not, uh, not a pretty sight in some taking that decision to stop or slow. I mean, all of these refiners halt production. Well, the reason is that most of them are doomed to make a loss, even if they do stop producing. And this is because they have to pay their fixed costs, like salaries and so on, even when they switch units off. So those costs don't vary with the rate of production. If their revenue is greater than their variable costs, like the power needed to run a unit, for example, then they might as well claw back some of their fixed costs by continuing to produce. So variable costs are typically around two to three dollars a barrel out of total operating costs of around five to six dollars a barrel for a complex refinery. So those refiners that have switched off production temporarily, like Donge, they are in such dire straits that they've opted to simply accept their fixed costs in the short term. Wow, interesting. Thanks, Benedict. So that explains why we saw refiners continuing to pump products out over the summer despite the low margin environment, which of course then only served to keep margins low and ensure um, we had all these losses reported that you mentioned. So what I'd be interested to know is, you know, can these refiners sustain these kind of losses um, with lockdown still destroying demand through the winter and, you know, a, a patchy timeline at best for these vaccines to be rolled out? Are there more of them considering closing operations permanently at all? Yes, so some refineries are considering permanent shutdown, but that is a very costly process in the short term. We haven't seen any instances of wholesale decommissioning so far. Companies look at all the possible alternatives before they think about decommissioning. So when they're making losses, they start by cutting four kinds of cash outflows operating costs, dividends, non-essential maintenance work, and investment plans. They will only consider shutting down when all of that's run out, basically. One popular strategy at the moment is to convert traditional refining capacity to process renewable fuels. So this way, companies can close down traditional refining capacity while at the same time gaining exposure to the growing market for renewable fuels. And this looks better publicly in many countries. There are also state in incentives to do this as well. Total has confirmed that it will convert the Grand Puy refinery near Paris to process renewables in just that way. Neste is going to co-process renewables with crude at Porvu. Prima is going to do the same thin thing at the Lysakil refinery. Those conversion pro projects take a lot of capital expenditure and regulatory oversight, of course, so they take quite a long time to see fruition. All of those will take between months and years to, to be completed. Having said all that, it is very possible that some refineries will just fully decommission if they can't see a financial alternative. We saw that in the aftermath of the 2008 economic crisis, and it was spread out over a few years as refiners saw that their alternative options just weren't viable. Okay, interesting. And do you think at this stage we could make calls which are with the hike of, of fully shutting down or, or decommissioning? We can try. It's hard to be specific about this at the moment, but we can try to generalize using some underlying facts about refining economics. So 
we can say that the refineries that are in the most trouble are probably independent, old, simple, and coastal. So independent refiners tend to have smaller cash reserves, less flexibility, more debt, and so on, compared with the majors. The majors tend to have enough resources that they can afford to make bigger losses for longer without running into that financial brick wall where they just have to close. Secondly, Europe has a lot of old refineries which have not seen very much investment over the last few decades. Other regions like Asia Pacific in particular have grown their refining capacity over that time, built a lot of new sophisticated refineries, and the older European sites have been left relatively uncompetitive by those global standards. Thirdly, the more complex or specialised a refinery is, the more profitable it naturally tends to be. And that's because sophisticated cracker or coker units increase the yield of high value products like gasoline and diesel. And so they increase the overall margins that the refinery can earn. That means simple refineries are more at risk of shutting down. Right. OK. And, you know, of course, a complex refinery always has the optionality to be a more simple one, I suppose, in that it can choose to switch off its secondary units and, and mimic the operation of a simple refinery if there are economics to incentivize that. Yes, exactly. So a complex refinery is bound to be safer. And then finally, inland refineries like those in Central Europe, for example, they'll be safer as well because they can usually dominate those inland markets and earn higher markups on the products that they sell. They have a kind of captive market in that region that has less access to imported products. So analysts that one refinery that we have our eye on is the Galp Porto refinery. It falls into all of those categories mentioned above. And as I mentioned earlier, it has now completely halted fuel production on a temporary basis at the moment for the second time this year because of economic pressures. Very interesting. Okay, one to keep an eye on, certainly. Um, how about on the uh, the government side? I mean, are we likely to see governments stepping in to rescue refineries from going under? Of course, that sort of thing gets bad press when a big employer fails and, and job losses associated with that. Um, it's notoriously difficult to close refineries in uh, in some European countries because of unions, um, which is probably one of the reasons we see, you know, this, this uh, popular move to convert refineries. Um, do you think we'll see this sort of intervention from, from the government? Yes, we do see some governments stepping in to protect prized national industrial assets. And it, it's not only out of na national pride as well. For example, the big Saroc refinery in Sardinia, run by Saras, plays a key role in power generation for the island using some of the uh, residue, I believe, generated, uh, produced by the refinery. And that has meant that the Italian state has supported that refinery in the past. So we can probably say that I've to think down no matter how poorly it performs financially. And how about with the majors in this industry? Of course, you touched earlier on the fact that they can stomach these losses for longer um, than the smaller guys in this business. Um, how do you think they stand in all of this and, and what are the majors doing to manage this crisis? Well, some of the majors are looking to divest their less profitable refining assets. There are a lot of uh, vultures circling looking for good prices for refining assets at a time like this because they anticipate that the crisis will be depressing values for refineries 
too much, as it were. So they talk about low multiples. If a buyer has to pay a relatively small price for a refinery relative to the profit that the refinery generates, then they've got a low multiple. And multiples tend to get lower in a crisis. But divestment is still preferable for a major relative to the expensive process of decommissioning because it generates cash rather than using up cash, even if it's not generating as much cash as they might have hoped. So, so far, Total has agreed to sell its Lindsay refinery in the UK to the fuel retail group Prax, and Shell has indicated that it will look to sell the Frederikia refinery in Denmark over the coming few years. There are a lot of parallels here with the period following the 2008 economic crash, as I alluded to before. We saw a lot of refineries shut down back then, and we also saw a lot of buyers come into the market and acquire refineries at cut prices. So Shell sold the northern German Heide refinery to private equity firm Klesch at that time, and also the Stanlow refinery in the UK to SR UK, a subsidiary of the uh, Indian conglomerate SR. So we're probably going to see something similar this time around. Okay, I mean, highly likely if this if this uh, pandemic carries on as as we're seeing at the moment, um, is there any chance that this is just a blip for Europe's refineries? You know, is is there an angle that says that this pandemic is a freak disaster and maybe everything will go back to normal in in six months' time? Well, I mean, I would like to say yes, but the problem is that the European refining industry has been burdened with structural overcapacity for years prior to the pandemic. This is not a new problem. The majors have been looking at divestments even before the pandemic came along. Total was thinking about selling the Lindsay refinery last year or even earlier, I believe. And this is because it's fundamentally not very profitable to run a refinery in Europe these days. The main reason for that is that imports from regions like Asia Pacific have become so competitive. And those other regions just keep on building big new refineries. Europe is not doing that and it's falling behind. And as a result, is in this condition of overcapacity. Oil demand recovered after the 2008 economic crash, but nobody missed the few old European refineries that had been driven out of business along the way. The story will probably be the same this time there's a fringe of relatively inefficient refineries that Europe simply won't need even after demand has recovered. Okay, thanks, Benedict. I mean, that's a a very interesting overview of the refining landscape. Um, So thanks again for your time today. Certainly sounds like some difficult decisions ahead for Europe's refiners, but potentially some great opportunities too for those nimble and, and brave enough to take them. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to tune in for other episodes in our series, Driving Discussions. For further information about the European refined products market, please visit www.argusmedia.com forward slash oil dash products.